A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast, your destination for actionable resources and tools to grind your way to ultimate fantasy baseball success this season. I'm Rob DiPietro, the Dead Pull Hitter. Catch me on Twitter at Dead Pull Hitter. Make sure you're following the Pull Hitter Podcast at Pull Hitter Pod and Launch Angle Pod, which will be coming back tomorrow with Jeff Zimmerman and Rob Silver. Today, we are going to be diving into all things NFBC with two under the radar, very successful players in the NFBC arena, and I'd like to welcome them onto the show right now, Mr. Keaton Arneson and Nikolai Knutson. How you doing, fellas? Thank you for joining me. Good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Rob, man. This is awesome. I really appreciate you uh, giving us some time to come on here and just uh, talk about fantasy baseball in general and uh, get to pick your brain, too, hopefully along the way. So, yeah. Yeah, every every um at the end of every season we're starting to, you know, look back at our teams in my my little crew chat. Um we usually like to talk about during the year two is uh, you know, oh, this guy's having a lot of successful teams and this and that. And, you know, so we kind of like to look at the historical standing the last couple of seasons and um both of your names could popping up on, you know, like winning teams, cashing teams in the overall hunt. So um, we're like, got to get these guys on at some point of the off season. It's good hearing young new voices too, right? It's like, there's obviously people who are analysts and they're all over the place and you hear them all the time. And then there's successful players that just lurking in the shadows, like just picking leagues off one by one. So that's, I think that's, um, cause I think at some point people took chances on me too. And I went on their podcast and I just always good to, uh, keep it going. Like keep the fantasy, um industry just rolling along hearing new voices i think it's good for other people too to hear different sides of the ball you know yeah no absolutely this is uh i jumped into this probably a couple years ago and uh i still don't feel like i know what the hell i'm doing half the time but <laughs> it's been just awesome to like switch from you know your home league where you know i don't want to say it's easy but it's just you know it's a different beast compared to this right and you know going from kind of one entry the first year and then just getting hooked right away. It's been uh, super awesome to just, yeah, kind of have this be this new addiction in your life and in hobby. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me about your guys like transition from fantasy, just even standard home league to um, the NFPC and how that all played out um, and how long you've been playing the NFPC. And I think you touched on something really good is that home leagues aren't, necessarily easy but like you just said it's just a different beast you know that there's so much more chances to for good things 
happen and bad things go wrong on your team. So it's just a totally entire different piece. So tell me a little bit about your, you know, forage into fantasy baseball. Whoever wants to go for I'm I'm bad at this. Um, I know when there's two people on, I forget to. So how about Keaton? You go first. I remember starting fantasy baseball in the middle, all oh, late nineties on ESPN. They had a salary cap league. And I remember I would always use up my entire budget with like Vladimir Guerrero and Manny Ramirez. <laughs> and I would get to DH and I had no money left. So I had to take the cheapest one available. So that was a long time ago. And then switched to like just general Yahoo leagues and things like that. And then like a, a home league. But never, I think I played one rotisserie league ever before NFPC. There were always head-to-head -head categories or points. And then once I started playing rotisserie, I, I realized this is the real way of playing fantasy baseball. Points and even head-to-head -head are awful in comparison, I would say. <laughs> There's just yep. more strategy and more, it's more fun. It's more fun where a, what happens in April means something. When you play like a like a head-to-head -head with playoffs is like you could have the best player for five months, but if they're hurt in September, it means nothing. I guess it gets you to the playoffs, but it's just not as fun. I, I kind of like, I just like to grind where every stat matters. I totally agree. And, I, and that should matter. Like everything, that every move that you make, it shouldn't go to shit because like you said, and I know, you know, a guy gets hurt, but, and people say, well, that's what happens in sports, right? Like a Lakers got to the championship, LeBron James gets hurt, you know, or whatever, like something like that. It's But I just like all the work that we put in, I wanted to be able to be more than just, oh, my team and head-to-head -head hit 24 homers and, yeah, in the playoff they hit three, you know, with the same amount of plate appearances. It's just, I don't want that. It's just, it's just, yeah, it's less fun. So then uh, I started it with NFBC in 2017 with my brother Kellen. We shared a team. And I remember we added Aaron Judge in our first fab ever for $50. So that was a that was a great experience. It started <laughs> with like the top five player right away for first week of fab. And then we just started, we shared it some more another team the next year. And then after that, we just started doing our own teams because we felt comfortable. It started out, we, we started sharing teams because we didn't know history very well we didn't know how to do fab that was our first fab experience i think now it's more common in different formats so it was just a way of experience like and then we didn't know how much time it takes to do which for us we do a lot of time because we enjoy it but it doesn't take that much time to set your lineups and do fab to be successful either but like we we got like oh maybe if we can't set lineups that's why we share teams at first now we share teams just to like you know for advice Yep, that makes sense. Just to just to talk thing, just to bounce bounce ideas off or bounce off of because sometimes I mean I played with a with a partner, and um, a lot of times I you know maybe I didn't catch that this person that didn't sit versus this specific handedness or anything like that. So another set of eyes on 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 stuff like that doesn't hurt. Yeah, so like Nikolai is not a co-owner on any of my teams. So it's kind of tough. So I, I'll ask questions, but it's kind of more difficult for him to answer because he can't just go on my team and look up who's available and, you know, look at it very easily. So it's, that's why having a co-winner is kind of nice for that. That makes sense. Sorry, I guess I could add you as a co-winner too, but. Oh, you don't want, you don't mean that. He doesn't want that. <laughs> he's, he's doing that for a reason. He's not yeah, he's just saying this because you hit record and he's live. <laughs> <laughs> You'll ruin my overall stats with my name on your leagues. 
Hey, what, about, um, what about you, Nikolai? How'd you get started into fantasy and NFPC? Yeah, I mean, you know, a little, little similar to what Keaton said there. I've probably been playing for about 20 years now. Honestly, for baseball at least, you know, it was more football at first. Um, baseball, just kind of like a head-to-head points through friends or coworkers. But man, it was so hard at least for me to get like 10 to 12 good owners I wanted to join back then. Um, just guys flaking out or maybe, you know, didn't want to commit to the, you know, it is a little bit more of a grind, a little commitment to setting your lineups, regardless of the format. And I think it just uh, at first rubbed some of the people I knew the wrong way. So then it's like, you know, you have a league going on for two years and then it's all of a sudden, you know, owners dropping like flies. And it's like, what are we doing here? We got maybe seven or eight owners who are trying to put together a league, which is kind of brutal. So um, anyways, just always played a couple home leagues with friends and still do to this day, but I uh, actually got to credit Kellen and Keaton because they, they were like, Hey, you should come check out NFBC. Um, introduced me in, I think it's 2019. Um, did one team and yeah, man, just got, got hooked right away and just better or worse. Just kind of jumped into, I always wanted to be on the clock. I always wanted to I'm, just love drafting and stuff. So it's just so fun to check out these different formats too. And, try to get more comfortable with them. I mean, I've slowly eased into 15s or trying to do a little bit more uh, to get comfortable with them. But yeah, it's it's been a blast. I totally agree with you too. Like once you, once you get involved and you start clicking around on the website, I remember like fascinated, like, wait a minute, I could see other leagues too. I could see every league standings in this online championship, you know, and then, yeah. the, and then even the overalls too, like you really get drawn into new things and you're like, Oh, this is cool. This is how it works. And you see the listing of everyone's names and then, and you can see who everyone is and how they've done in the NFPC. And it's just, it's just a, a, a like you said, you can easily get hooked. And then once you're, like you said, in the draft room doing a slow draft, I'm like, oh, these are great slow drafts. <laughs> and now I'm just like, the, oh, the, yeah, some man. of the times in the four-hour drafts, I'm like, come on, make a fucking pay. <laughs> and I'm never like, I'm oh, never yeah, going mean- to tell it. I'm never going to tell everyone to, you know, to like hurry up. But sometimes just sitting there, um, and maybe this is just my personality too, but I just sit there and I'm like, I just do prep as I'm waiting. And then I end up just spending way too much time just sitting there waiting. And I'm like, I got to do a fat draft and get, and get this out of my system, you know? A hundred percent. I know I should have learned less than on the four hours by now, but you know, it's my own fault for jumping in them. Um, <laughs> but it, I'm definitely a guy when it's like behind closed door, just like swearing at like the green light guy. You're like, Hey, green, like, I don't know what's going on with this guy who's been, you know, it looks like he's on for about three and a half hours here and hasn't made a pick. But again, <laughs> my own fault for jumping in the four hours. So it's also too like um a good a good um ability that the draft room has that you can have multiple open windows. Like you can have it on your phone and you can have it on your laptop and your home yeah. computer. So maybe I think that's what happens with me. I know that. Like I'll get a text message from Mike my, my mouth or anyone who's doing like a extra fast draft and they're like, hey, you know, I see you in there. Make a pick. I'm like, oh, I'm actually stepped away. But yeah, my, my browser's open. So that's why you see my green. But I think that's also a very good um ability too, like to have it on multiple, you know, f- tablets or anything. So you it just it just helps when you're out in the yard and you're like oh like I have a cue and I'm up and I could just make a pick you know it's just very it's very simple. Um, so which formats do you guys yeah, think- enjoy the most in the NFBC? Like twelve teams, the fifteen teams. 
Nikolai, you go for oh, good. Okay. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm I'm bad at this. I I I have to avoid that lag of of so I'm gonna point and 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 click to someone. So again, Nikolai, you go first this time. Yeah. Um yeah, I think I enjoy the twelves probably still the most, the OCs. I think that was the first contest that I jumped into. Um I think I enjoy feeling like you can take a little more risk on. Um, it's kind of fun to take some of these, whether it's an injury risk or, you know, high upside, younger players, whatever it may be in those 12s, you can get away with it. If it maybe backfires on you a little bit more. I mean, I was looking at some of my teams from last year and it's so funny to see how awful just like even eight picks out of the top 20 were in some of those OCs. And you're like, how on earth did I even, you know, <laughs> contend at all? Like, because they're just almost wasted picks sometimes. And you can definitely get away with that more in the 12. So I think at first I enjoyed that a little bit more, but I'm starting to, I think just because I'm a little more uncomfortable in the 15s, uh, I'm trying to lean a little bit more maybe this year, next year towards that, just because, you know, it's a little more challenging. You get in some of those main events. I did one last year and it was definitely a little humbling and, you know, you're, you're trying to find your feet. Um, but all of them are fun, man. It's just cool because there's so many different strategies and approaches that you can take in a 12 versus 15 or in this, you know, draft champions, 50, 50 round draft that it's just cool to get creative with it. Absolutely. It's, I love the back, like the back half of DC is always my favorite because I think in season, they're always the biggest reward is when some guy that you picked in the 44th round, even if you just plug him oh, in for two weeks and two weeks, he hits you two homers or something. It, it's any little benefits. Like that's why I picked you buddy. Perfect. That's exactly what I needed you for. A hundred percent. And it was funny. Like those rounds, I love how, at least for me, you're in that like round 39 and you're picking like an SP and you're just talking yourself into how great, you know, Jordan Lyles was in that spot. And you're like, yeah, he's, yes. he's going to eat up innings. He's, his four four ERA and his one four whip won't be that bad. He'll he'll at least like be an innings guy, right? Like even though it's probably gonna be terrible. And I was talking with Preppis about that. We were joking how those are like the Jordan Lyles round. Every pitcher just seems the same. Like unless you're taking a rookie, where most likely their ratios and stuff are gonna be terrible. But you still talk yourself into it. You know, it, it's fun. Right. Absolutely. Fucking Jordan Lyles. Hilton. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. That guy that's that's as soon as you said his name, it brought a smile because just he is was one of those guys. This you're finding any good nugget in a pitcher that goes that late and end up giving you multiple weeks of of active starts, just great. I love it. I'm trying to find my next Jordan Lyles. This year, I, I I'm not as comfortable with the guys, you know. This it's hard, it's hard to live up to Jordan Jordan Lyles is uh <laughs> you know, experience from last year. Yeah, no doubt. Keaton, what about you? What Which format do you, are you preferring? I prefer the 12-team online championship. I like it because doing a 15-team draft doesn't feel very fun. The opportunity cost just feels so high. Because I want all these players, but I can never get any of them. So that's why the twelve the twelve drafts are more fun that way because I can at least get my targets when I want them. And yeah. then I like the I like the in season management the pickups in the twelve team. I feel like I can make more of an impact in the twelve team in season to come out ahead. 
I think that would be one of my biggest strengths is in-season pickups. And it's just a little bit harder in the bigger leagues. Interesting. Yeah. It, it, I used to be my first years playing in the OC. I wasn't good at fab. I, I held on to players too long. I was looking at the wrong kind of guys to fab and um, spent money. I think I overspent. That was a, a big thing too. Just knowing that you don't have to really spend that much every week on a guy for, you know, for, for a stream, you know, trying to secure a stream for as cheap as you can versus, you know, going, Oh, I'll just go 14 because I just want him. And then it's $2 backup. And you're like, fuck, I should have just kept it at six, you know, and then those add up, you know, so um, not, not having those extra dollars at the end of the season can definitely bite you. But I mean, you guys are, it shows in your in your win and your cash rate in the OCs. You guys have about a fifty eight percent cash rate and um, right almost forty percent win rate. It's pretty it's pretty impressive. Um, so are you guys playing for like an overall or you're playing to win your league? I can, maybe that's a difference style too. Like, is how are you attacking these leagues? Are you just trying to win your league and then during the season, if you're in that hunt, you're gonna turn it on, or are you just playing right from the start? Keaton, you can go first. I play for the league first, but keeping my opportunity there for the overall. Mm. So my number one goal is to win the league, get my money back. You know, I don't want to... I'm happy with a first-place finish or a second-place finish, but I want to keep my options open at least for the overall, so I'm not going to just take boring players the whole time. So I want, I want the opportunity. I think overall has so much luck to it you need to hit on these certain players that it's almost impossible for me to expect to hit on them all to actually win it so that's why i focus on league first the overall second makes sense that's a good attack nikolai you yeah man i uh i think it's different in the the 12s and the 15s as i mentioned earlier i think with the 15s for me right now i don't feel as comfortable so i think Definitely just um, approaching it as, hey, let's try to contend for the league. Uh, once you feel like, you, you know, got a better rhythm for these 15s in the mains, um, then maybe try to attack an overall a little bit more aggressively type thing. But in the 12s, I think that I've done them a few years. I'm kind of at the point this year where um, I'm just – I kind of think – I'm a big movie guy. So I know you mentioned, like, we were talking a little bit off camera about, like, my team names with uh, – like how'd you come up with this stuff? I just love a good movie, good TV show. Um, so like, I think of like, if you guys seen the social network, I think it's like Justin Timberlake's character goes, you know, a million dollars ain't cool. You know, it is a billion dollars. And I think of that with this just because mm. it's like, we've all won a league for the most part. And not that it's easy to win a league because it's not, it's still a grind, but it's like, okay, I've won a league. I get, you get a little taste of it. It's like, you know, it'd be cool. And overall, and mm -hmm. obviously super tall task, right? Um, by no means, I think I'm, you know, even necessarily in, in the spot to, to make a run at one, but I love the idea of maybe taking a little bit more of aggressive approach, you know, and being like, you know what, if it backfires, so be it, I'll live with it. Um, cause, uh, I don't know that you'll I'm a little bit more willing to take out some risk and, you know, if, if I look dumb for it, then, uh, again, <laughs> I can live with it. It's cool. But, and I think there's like a little bit of, uh, a wrong impression on that you always have to get upside to win an overall, you know, I just think it just, 
so many other things besides hitting an upside player. Yeah, if you get a player in 250-380p who ends up being a top 50 player, of course, that's huge. But if you strike out on on four of your top five guys, you know, regardless if they're um, you know, if you're quote unquote playing for the overall or not, you know, you're just not gonna be good. So I just think there's like like a misperception of what it takes to win an overall, you know. Obviously a lot of things have to go right, but um always getting the that that over, you know, like the guy who's gonna push the envelope on profit, um it, it, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, no, that's a good point. Yeah, I suppose I think definitely like the roster construction is huge, and I, it's something I definitely need to. I'm trying to be a little better at as far as each category and, and planning for a little better. But yeah, I've been I I've been spending more time on that than 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 player evaluation. You know, just like what it takes to piece piece together um, categories and how like where to get it from, where, where in the draft. You know, I've been tr- I. I looked at my fab analysis the last this past season. Like I was talking, like where did I overspend? Why did I overspend? Like how can I trim that back? And how can I make better decisions? Because I think that's all roped in. I realized that a lot of my teams, I you know, I drafted a good, good, decent chunk of my stats. Um, so I think I got get better at fab. You know, um, it, I'm sure it's great to have guys in your that you've drafted, but also tells me maybe I'm not turning it over quick enough for like, up you know some more points. I don't know. It's just I'm just constantly trying to evaluate all my style to play. And, and you know, my good friend Steve Weimer and in, in, in Baseball HQ, he wrote a great great article about you no know, like playing to your perceived strengths, and it's like a lot of times we get caught up in saying. Oh, I'm good at late round pitching, so I won't draft them early. But like, are you really, or is it just because you hit on Robbie Ray? But all the other ten guys you've drafted, you know, in that like spot, like that. This is the this is my late round gem. Yeah. Have been strikeouts, you know. But the one that you did hit stands out so much. So like, really trying to go back and look at your teams and saying, this is actually what I did, you know, instead of that perceived uh, thing of like, oh, I'm good with. Cause that's what I said about my two catcher approach. Every time I drafted like JTR, I was like, Oh, I just win with those teams or I cash with those teams. And I went back and like, well, is that always the truth? And also am I you know, like, is it other things, you know, adding to make a team good, obviously than just hitting on one catcher. But um, so what, so what lessons have you guys, I guess, learned the most from when you started to now, it could be in any stage or any part of the NFBC forum. Keaton, you can go first. I would say I've learned with the the 12 team, don't be afraid of dropping players. If kind of a rule is you should almost regret dropping a player or two every year, because that means you're being aggressive and you're you're going through and you might hit on more players. Like I would describe like the worst thing you can do is have a mediocre player that's good enough to be on your roster, but not bad enough to drop and they don't help you win anything they just kind of take up space they don't they don't help i think of like yuan mancada in i think 2021 was kind of like my poster child for something like that look up his stats quick yeah like just not good enough to help for a 12 team specifically in this case that's usually what i'm playing for you just didn't have enough counting stats. You didn't have enough home runs. You didn't have a good enough average. You just didn't do anything. So just like 
trying to churn out for guys that actually make a difference, I think is a big key. Even for even if it's only for a month or a few weeks, you can find guys that are very helpful at, for short amounts of time. No, that's a good that's a good point. I I feel like you're speaking directly to me um, when I hear that because I <laughs> last year, uh, not the past year, but two years ago, I guess I should say, I I had a very bad bad time with that. Just hanging on to guys that oh, but I drafted him here, or this is what I thought he would be, and he's doing okay enough, but it's really not. You know, just gotta you gotta turn it, you gotta get rid of it. Nikolai, what about you? What's the you would want? Oh, yeah, okay. sorry, yeah, Keaton. So you want guys that like you know that if they're playing in April, if they help you or not. You don't want guys that like. It takes till May or June to know if you want them on your roster or not. Or like if they're established, they're established and you hold them. But maybe these some guys you just if they're not good in the first two weeks, you just gotta be willing to drop them. And it, that's just what it is. In a 12 team, you will find guys, especially like just all season, there are people available that you are you'd be surprised about. I think maybe the, I think like what would be a little oh, okay, sorry. in the 15 which I don't really play. I, I assume it's a little bit more difficult because you got to like the, uh, the guys available, the opera, the um, replacement value is so much different. So you, maybe you got to give more time, but on a 12 team, be aggressive. I'd rather lose by being aggressive than lose by being too passive. Yeah. You, 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 um, you miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take, right? Little yeah. Michael Jordan line for you. Uh, I, absolutely. Yeah, I, I was going to say just real quick, like sometimes, you know, I just like to scan the player percentages and I'm looking um, at the overall rostered rate in the NFBC. And I think last year was a lot of times just like I would see Jesus Sanchez and it would be like 37% owned or fifth, like 42. And I'm like, who's holding on to him right now? <laughs> you know, it's like, have, have you, have you tapped out or are, are you just, you just love them, you know? And it's just those kind of guys. Fine. I get it. That you think the potential's there and maybe you drafted him, but yeah, you got to move on, you know? Yeah, with like a Jesus Sanchez, how does he help you in a 12 team? He either has to hit a lot of home runs or he's useless. And he was useless. He's useless. Exactly. <laughs> Um, I again, oh. Nikolai. Yeah, good. Tell me about your lessons learned, and then go into your team names too, because I think that's great. Oh, sure. Uh, so lessons learned. I think for me, you know, and you kind of touched on a little bit with like getting better at fab. It's two things, and it's and they kind of tie together. It's obviously like just building that roster construction where you're not where it's a little more balanced. So like, obviously, that sounds very simple, but. I notice at least two categories, saves and steals, where it seems like I'm always light on them. So then in return, I'm chasing them in fab constantly. And it's such a dicey game with those two categories because closes are just a constant, constant like roller coaster, you know. So it's you're chasing guys that might be average at best. Steals, same thing. They might, you know, be like Bubba Thompson, who definitely helped teams, or like Ruiz last year, like you're chasing a guy like that, blown fab and, Oh, he didn't work out onto the next guy. Just like him, you know, and, and I put myself, I feel like in that hole and I'm trying to get better at that. And, 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 this, and it was definitely worse early on. And I still feel like it's something I'm trying to 
figure out because as you mentioned when you see that that fab run through and like i can remember getting uh hansel robles last year for like 120 bucks early on in the season and the next bid was like eight and i'm pretty sure you know then you then i sleep for three hours rob that night and i feel like an idiot and then my wife doesn't understand why i'm freaking out over uh I spent two, you know, hundred dollars more than I should have in fab for a guy that's definitely not going to help me. It's, <laughs> it's that kind of stuff, you know, try to avoid it moving forward. So. It would be great. It, it would be great if like everyone obviously had the time in the world to get, get like into a room on Sunday night and like actually like auction off for uh, fab, you know, we tried to do that in my home league one year. We did on the, on the COVID year, we just couldn't get everyone to do it at, Obviously, it's hard, you know, but um, it's uh, yeah, it's that'd different. be cool. Yeah, that would be that would be really legit. But okay, so tell me about your team name. They're all they're all baseball yeah. players in movies. Yeah, man, it's just kind of what I mentioned a little bit earlier. Just uh, love fantasy and love sports. Uh, other passion, just love a good movie, love a, love a good TV series. Uh, so obviously, you know, I love watching a good sports movie, or you know, there's not too many good TV series, but uh, yeah. So I just thought. I got these 20 teams trying to, you know, remember which one is which, right? And everybody names their stuff different. And I just thought, hey, why not, you know, throw out Willie Mays Hayes or Chet Stedman or something here to remember, yep. uh, you know, kind of which team is doing what. And, uh, yeah, kind of fun to play off of it. I did a little bit in football too. But, um, yeah, it's I have a lot more teams for, for baseball. So it's, uh, it's kind fun. of fun to go back down memory lane with some of those, you know, good sports flicks. Absolutely. I think it's great. You know, I see Kelly. I think the I think the Kelly Leak one was the one last year that I, I that caught my eye. And you know, I'm trying oh, to look okay. at so many things. And I'm like, oh Kelly Leak. I was like, who's got this? And I was like, oh. And then I I saw all your team names for players, and that's great. Cause I, I realized that some people have trends, you know, like Tyler Tyler Jung is all socks, there's all teams with socks, it's pink socks, it's checkered oh. socks, it's this, yeah. And um yeah, yeah. uh I guess uh Steve Weimer, his a couple of years ago, I noticed all of his team names were like had to do with the wire from HBO, you know. And I was like, Oh, oh nice, yeah. great, Good you know. Show. So everyone's got a theme, you know, everyone's got a theme to uh picking out their um their team names and such. So um, so let's get into a little bit about how you guys evaluate players, make ranks, you know. Um, is it like a systematic thing? Do you do something like SGP or Z score type ranks or more formal using skill sets and um, just creating your own ranks from there. And like, if you guys use projection systems um, and if so, why, why not? If you don't use them, all that fun stuff, Nikolai, you lead us off here. Yeah. I'm going to definitely knowing Keaton's approach, be the much more boring, uh, more simplest approach here with, with this. Um, honestly, man, for me, it's, I don't make my own ranks. Uh, I mean, not really. It, it definitely not my own projections. It's a lot of, you know, as soon as the season ends, um, I mean, I did the first DC this year, so I'm not like waiting around. I jumped into it. So I'm kind of looking at stuff instantly. Mm -hmm. And for me, it, it's more of, okay, diving into what you did wrong. You know, who did you whiff on? Why did you maybe whiff on? I'm trying to piece some of that together. Right. And I just, what's been great about, about this community is just like, you get to hear, like, including yourself, a lot of smart guys who have great thoughts. And just trying to be a sponge and just soaking all that up. So, like, if somebody speaks on somebody, you know, it's like maybe jot a note down. We we all probably use similar websites, right, to look at all of these analytical stats that we love so much. So I'm diving into that, sure, kind of to do an evaluation. 
on a guy I might like heading into 23. Um, and then that's why I kind of love jumping in these drafts because I might have a set idea on like, okay, I really like these pitchers, these outfielders, whatever it is. But until I kind of get in a few drafts and I see how ADP settles, um, I don't really know for sure, you know, it can, it can change. I might have thought I'm going to love this guy, but then once the draft unfolds, it's like, oh, maybe, maybe based on ADP, actually, I'm, I'm, I might not get any shares, even though initially I thought I'm going to love him. Mm -hmm. um, I know we, we might talk about Jeremy Pena later, but I have zero shares of him, but I, I like the guy this year for, for different reasons. But so far, based on where he's going, I haven't felt the itch to pull the trigger because uh, it's just I like outfielders that are going around there a little better, and I might not end up getting them, actually. So that's kind of how I run through it all, um, is seeing where those pockets kind of break up in the draft and then really settling in on who am I comfortable with at each position. And um, typically there's not, like, a ton of do-not-draft guys. There's a few that I'm probably not going to touch. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of my approach. Keaton will probably nerd it up here and make it sound a lot more pretty, but... No, but I think I think getting into early drafts and identifying like where where you're seeing things lay down, where where you're seeing the pockets of possible profit come through is huge. Like you could look at ADP, but it's just you know, it's like it's like anything else in, in life. You practice and 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 you do something hands on. It's just better. It's so much better to be in like just to be in it and experience draft runs and you know, ADP doesn't tell the whole picture all the time. So being being no. involved early and then um and then you know what I do like I have to do better job at too is guys I'm really in on early and I'm getting at such great prices. And then when when all of a sudden like for some reason it just shoots up and I have a hard time following that path of ADP and I have to do a better job of mm -hmm. that. Like trusting that my instincts on a guy, even if he moved up 80 picks, a hundred picks, like, and I say, Oh, but you know, three months ago, I got him at 480. You know, I don't want him at 380. I got to do a better job of, of still being aggressive on that player. You know, that's one thing. Or I if it goes the other way, it's tough. Right. The dude falls right. that you love. You're like, Whoa, wait, like, at least for me, I'm like, okay, tell me, what are you missing? Why is everybody hating on this guy that you were all in on? And then you kind of, or for me, I can talk myself out of it super easy. And then it sucks when that guy blows up that year and you're like, all right, you should have trusted your gut, you know? Yeah. No, when it goes the other way, I I, I don't actually, I, I still, I don't question myself. I don't know okay, why. That's, that's like I, a little I, bit of a selection bias. Like, you know, if it goes up, I question question me and my aggressiveness. And if it goes down, I'm like, nah, nah, everyone's wrong. I see it. I see it happening. <laughs> and I think you bring a good point up on the ADP and I try to not get married to the ADP. I mean, it's good to, to find out where guys are going, but I'm definitely more get your guy than not. You know, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't want to sit back and hope he falls. I'm more, you know, whether again, it can backfire, but I'm like, okay, I might jump this dude 15, 20 picks. Cause I don't even want to risk him possibly getting sniped here, you know, cause that, that feeling's gut wrenching too. So. And that's the big thing too. When you move up to like a main event, it's just don't even just go, Go and do it. Get get your guy. You know, if, if your process is sound and 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 you're sold on it, don't don't try to play that ADP chicken because it's just there's nothing worse than like feeling regretful during the draft and like oh man, I should have done that. And it's feelings are hard to overcome during the draft. 
however way they are, you know, like if you feel like you oh, nailing, yeah. if you feel like you're nailing stuff and you're like, Woof, you, you know, you have your chest pumped out and like, you know, maybe, you know, you can psych yourself out of like focus or just playing too confident. And there's times where something bad happens and you're like, I wish I could fucking rewind everything right now and do a couple of things. Absolutely. Yeah. So Keaton, what, tell us about your approach um, to evaluating players and ranking them. I don't really rank players myself uh, or do my own projections or anything. I just assume I can't beat the projections that are out there now. I, I specifically look at ATC and the bat mostly. Uh, I, I like to use them as a my baseline for a player evaluation. I like to know I don't really like steel only guys like Tommy Edmond myself. Like I'm just looking he's like a $13 player roughly. Or I could get a Corey Seager, who's a $20 player, roughly. So I like to look like, all right, is Tommy Edmond a good pick? I would say no, unless I really need stolen bases. So it's about the roster construction. So I, I like using projection, yeah, as a baseline to figure out who I want to target versus who I don't want to target. What what's what matters more? And it's tough. You can't you can't go based purely off the auction value, the you know, you have Corey Seager and Francisco Lindor are actually like almost equal, but Lindor gives you steals and Seager doesn't. So it's how you want to build your team, which is more important than necessarily the the exact player in this in this situation. Yeah, I think you're right too. Like you just can't get married to what it spits out unless you do like a specific model of yours that you're designing, you know, that you have control of all the inputs. But when after projections, you just got to go – you have to like take the time to just sift through it just to see the kind of player they that they're, you know, ranking higher or lower. And I would also, too, like, you know, I always tell people, I like, don't – just don't look at the overall numbers sometimes, too. Just look at the uh, rate stats. Look at the Ks per nine, you know. Like, um, I think a lot of people thought that nobody caught with Strider did last year, but Steamer had him for, like, a 10.5 Ks per for nine. So if you were drafting and you thought he was going to throw 80 innings, 100 innings, you were probably looking to get him, you know. Um that overall number is sometimes just misleading because of the of, it's not hard to project playing time, you know. I think that's what all I think that's what we're all trying to get better at too. It's not only assuming these skills are going to carry over or get worse, but it's like how much will he play? You know, you got to look at the organizational chart and how many times you get platooned. So there's so many other things that go into it instead of just following that final number for sure. Um, I just think that when you find the perfect marriage of projection and, and like the skills you like to see in a player, and then that's just, that's just a double whammy right there. Are there I any, okay. I prefer players that are more well-rounded. I'm not a huge fan of like stolen base only guys or uh, like uh, average only guys. I kind of like guys that chip in into everything. Cause I feel like if one gets injured, it doesn't hurt as much. And then it gives you more options than bad throughout the season. Cause then you're not trying to replace like if if who's projected for the most stolen bases, if you have Bobby Witt, for example, he gets hurt, you're kind of screwed for stolen bases if you were relying entirely on him or Tommy Edmond, for example. Mm -hmm. If you have a bunch of guys that give you 10 to 15 stolen bases, it hurts but doesn't hurt as much for like an injury. That's just my preference. You can win with any type of strategy and any type of build. Good point. 
Is, are are there any metrics that you guys like maybe prioritize or like to look at, or or is there any way to? Is there any one of them too that you think, um, maybe like as too much for me to try to get into, or just feel like they're not useful for you? I like the metrics that are more predictive than descriptive. So I I like like K and walks are pretty predictive early on or or stabilized early on. So I like stats that should help for future evaluations more so than right now if that makes sense mm -hmm. and Absolutely. then yeah like I, I really like i really hate the high like we were talking to hugger bias right before this like i don't like high strikeout guys low walk guys because they're very streaky to me and they can just fall off a cliff they're very frustrating to start where if they're if they're on the hot streak it's great if they're on the cold streak they're almost unplayable and then you bench them and then they go on a hot streak and then you lose out on the week. So it's just kind of frustrating that way. That, no, that makes sense. Um, especially like, I mean, I, a guy like Baez, go ahead, Rob. afraid of his PT because there's no one there to take his time. But a guy like Baez who's not as established and may not, not have the seniority on the team or anyone behind him, definitely, definitely super concerning because they might just stop playing for sure. Get Nikolai, sorry. Get no, you're good. I think what Keen said, you know, I would echo a lot of that. I think uh, for me, and it's not metrics, <laughs> you know, sometimes I I like to look for players that, you know, I kind of identify as, uh, we were joking around earlier, but I'm not afraid of an older player. Um, we're talking about aging curves and stuff. I mean, I don't know if we want to get into that at all, but it's, I don't, you know, we joke about injuries a lot. It's like, I don't play a doctor. I don't pretend to be a doctor. And I understand you have to factor in some of those injury concerns with players. Same with age definitely applies. I just think that, especially in 2023 with sports, just the way athletes, they have so much history on how to take care of themselves, right? Again, maybe we'll not continue this way, but you see the stud players at least, and that's why they're still around. The Verlander season last year, Scherzer to an extent, obviously still awesome. I don't think that's by just like a one-off necessarily. I, I, I could – I think that's going to continue to, to play out with some of these just great players, right? They're great for a reason. Again, they could get hurt and they're, you know, be done tomorrow. But until I start to see like velocity drop or something, I like to try to identify, okay, who's maybe an older guy that I could see, you know, the market or this draft, like shine away from just because of a number that is their age, right? Goldie was like that for me last year. I had a lot of them because I was just like, okay, where he's going He's going around, you know, Matt Olson or even a little bit later. And I'm like, dude, this guy's a stud for a decade. Like, I'm not going to overthink it. His stuff still looks strong. He's good. Like, end of story. I don't care that he's in his mid-30s. It just doesn't matter to me. I think he's he should be going higher. And that's, again, totally going to backfire on me sometimes. I get that. But I do like to try to identify at least one or two of those guys where, you know, they, they could be. And he's a great example. Obviously, it worked out. But. No, that totally makes sense. Um, I think I think it's I think it ties into like my next question about like roster construction for last year's teams. Like if you're prioritizing not only like a specific profile, like you said, you you know, you know, you like the veteran guys, or Keaton may not like the veteran guys, he may like the younger players, but you know, and how that gets you to like specific categories, you know. Um so like last year or both you like teams, you did like really well in like runs, homers, ribbies, um, and to like a little bit of a lesser extent stolen bases. Um, 
while average was like, you know, had some solid teams, but as a whole compared to the other stats was a little behind. And I don't know if that just um, from approaching it with a specific draft style in mind, you know, um, do you guys have like a specific prioritization when it comes to filling out your teams category wise? I would say runs, home runs, and RBIs are my priority because they translate to winning better than average and stolen base for sure. If you are really good at runs, home runs, and RBIs, you will do really well. If you're really good at average, you might be really bad still. So that's why average is secondary to me. That's a fill-in. I'm still cognizant of it. I don't want to have a terrible average, but I still want to get a foundation of average early. I just may not go for the Luis Urias type hitters very often, or at least I didn't in the past. That might change this year, actually. But I just I don't like average only guys. I call them Babbitt only guys. They're just a little bit more too lucky for me to prioritize. No, I think what you I mean what you said is is a hundred percent right. It's a perfect link to correlation with overall hitting points. Um, Last year in the OC, yeah, the correlation for runs was 0.88 for runs to overall hitting point. Home runs was 0.75, ribbies 0.87, and um, stolen bases 0.56, average 0.56. So you're right. You're 100%. Like that correlation is there. So, and it's just, um, it's up to the players out there to know that and then just attack the drafts and um, fab to get those stats accordingly because you're 100% right on that. And I know stolen bases are a weakness of mine, and I know I have to take I have to take my gamble somewhere in the draft for a stolen base guy. But I recognize I recognize it. So I build my team with the core and it's like, all right, I'm gonna take this guy or this guy for stolen bases. So I'm just like hoping that they hit. And in fab, I just hope I hit on a Jake McCarthy later in the year. Jake, J Mac. What do you think about J Mac while we're on him? What's your thoughts on him this year? He's a stolen base dart throw. He could be great or he could just not be a starter after May. He could be a dud, huh? All yeah. right. <laughs> it's one, it's, there's no floor to him. And the ceiling is obviously like 40 stolen bases this year, but. Right. You're totally yeah, right. He could. <laughs> what he did last year. And bases then... on your team. If you really need stolen bases, take them because he's a good gamble. If you don't need stolen bases, don't bother looking at him then in that case. A hundred percent. I got <laughs> Yeah. I when I was looking back at my team, like I was saying earlier, um, and I said, Well, uh, uh the stat I fabbed the most um in my main was stolen bases. I was like, okay, so I went I went to my pickups and I was like, ah, yep, J Mac. <laughs> it was just that simple. <laughs> just one guy completely uh had I don't know, he, he had uh uh too too big of a percentage of my stolen base stats last year, that's for sure. Um, Nikolai, you have anything to add to that whole, you know, like profile kind of build? Um, you like, you know, yeah. Of- um, sim- I think you you hit it on the head, Rob. I mean, you looked at our, at my teams, I think, and I was pretty strong in power and stuff last year. Obviously, um, that worked out well for me and my approach. But obviously, um, steals and average was definitely something that killed me. I didn't have any teams at the end of the season, you know, in that top 50 to 75 overall range, because 
the steals and average were just so bad on a few of the teams that were a little better. Um, you know, some of that has to do with uh, certain guys that I went all in on and just bad player eval by me. We talked about risky players and especially in those OCs I had Buxton everywhere. And again, as a twins fan, I, I, I definitely understand the risk. Um, but not only did he not contribute to steals, but he also hit like 210 when he was in my lineup, which I would not have <laughs> expected from him. You're kind of thinking at least 250, 260. So it's just going a little bit too heavy on a few guys everywhere and then them just disappointing you. And all of a sudden you look up and you're halfway through the season. And you're like, wow, I'm really screwed here in average or, or steals, right? And uh, it's, it's tough, uh, especially average shoots, pretty tough to start making up ground on that as the season progresses and that's where I need to do a better job at uh, um, watching those 80th and 90th percentiles as you kind of touched on earlier Rob something I need to just look at from day one just be mindful of it because uh, before it's too late you're, you're good luck I saw the pup what just walk by yeah yeah I like it yeah that that was Linus it, it, it's beautiful here in Jersey so I got the back sliding door open and I have a little second floor deck and he just likes to suntan all day long um oh that's that's yeah I'm, yeah there he I'm is jealous that's, man it's like zero degrees here in Minnesota well actually it's actually I lie it's like 40 degrees here in Minnesota right now which is surprising oh that's solid yeah today's 50 yeah. like 51 52 in Jersey it's it's yeah it's like nice we were after. minus 20 last week yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we we had yeah we hit like minus ten here on Friday Saturday. It, it was it was okay. it was brutal. Yeah, they didn't want to go outside at all. They do they were just you know all my dogs were just trying to shit in the house. I was like not having it. Got to put on your <laughs> gotta put on your jacket yeah, and you go kidding out. Me? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not fooling us, man. Uh huh. Absolutely. Um. All right. So, do you guys look at like 80th percentile, like to see what kind of you know. I guess stats across all, all you know, stack categories. Um, it needs to become somewhere in the overall. Uh, my main philosophy that Nikolai hears quite often is just get good players. Just keep it simple, get good players. And uh, I don't specifically target stats. I don't keep track of the stats during the draft because it's, I think it's trying to be too specific for something not that you can't actually get specific enough with kind of call it a significant numbers type of problem. So I don't go for specific numbers. I just try to get good players that will fill in the stats for me. That makes sense. Sometimes the best approach is the simple approach, you know? Like I am aware, like when I'm drafting, like, all right, I draft Corey Seager. Obviously, I need to figure out how am I going to get stolen bases because I'm already 10 to 20 stolen bases behind from shortstops. So I like, I know I got to fill them in, so I'm I'm aware of it. I'm just not going to shoot for a specific number if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. Um, Keaton, I know you got to run in about 15 minutes, so let's just get into um, some maybe player battles, and you guys can get into the guys that you get into your discussions with or he did that base about it. i think that'll be cool to highlight that in the show um so one of you guys spit out a name or a battle and then you guys could have at it keen it's all yours who, who who would you like me to embarrass you on real quick oh, here here tell me why framber valdez is better than mckenzie 
yeah, and this is tough. When we so we're like a bunch of little schoolgirls, Rob, sometimes on a text chain that are you know <laughs> fighting and disagreeing about stuff, but it's fun. I like to do it with Keaton because uh, you know I agree with what I'm saying, but I also kind of like to really push back on some of his uh, his thoughts to see if I'm way off base or not. But um, so for Amber, it, um, it, it's not so much I think McKenzie's a, a bad pick because I don't. I actually don't. I would draft him too. For me, with him, it's he falls under that category of the Sandys, the the Julios, who you know, if you're just a projections guy, you go to that. And I and again, I like looking at projections too, but they're not going to like those guys as much, right? Um, for you know, I get the reasons, but uh, at this point, I think Framber has like the seventh best year the last three seasons uh, in the MLB. Uh, you know, elite ground ball pitcher. I understand the rules are changing this year. And I, again, I, I'm not smart enough to know what that is exactly going to do to somebody like Framber. So I am going to operate under the assumption that he is still really good and been going to be really close to the guy he's, he's been uh, the last two seasons. And I know he added a cutter uh, towards the end of last year. I think that really helped him too. And I just like the volume. I like a good volume pitcher sometimes. You know, if he was going earlier, it's a different story. But a guy that can get 200 innings, possibility of getting you 200 Ks on a great team. I hate wins as a category, but I think, you know, you got to trust the team sometimes with some of these, you know, we all have to get wins. So if you got somebody on Houston, you got somebody on the Dodgers, somebody on the Braves, it's going to most likely help if you just look at track record. And they got great defenses behind them uh, too. And again, I, maybe the shift kills him. I don't know. Again, I, I have no idea. So I'm, I'm all in on a guy like that who um, I think can continue to be kind of what he's been the last year. So it, I just think it's a great spot and I trust him more than somebody like McKenzie, who I think has great upside, but um, I like the maybe two or three year window here of, of Framber over it is all. Yeah. I, I do trust the Astros to be one of the teams that adjust to not having the shift. And it could be by pitch mix too, designing more, you know, all right, Framber throw, you know, maybe throw that, that cutter more, a little higher in the zone, get some more fly balls out of it. Or who knows? Like, I, I just think that I trust them and I trust Framber is just a really good pitcher. And I just love, I guess the volume that he'll give you on again. Yeah. Ejecting the Astros lineup to be good is a uh, easy and and a good pen right because i think that that's huge too just look at a team's offense and their bullpen and if the pitcher can go decent length and they got a good shot at wins for sure yeah so my main reason for mckenzie over valdez is whip is one of the hardest things you can get in fantasy baseball i think especially from a starting pitcher and McKenzie is one of the very best starting pitchers you can get for limiting Babbitt. He's an extreme fly ball pitcher, so the extreme opposite of Valdez. And I think he's projected for up there with Christian Javier for one of the best Babbitts for this upcoming season. And that just makes a huge difference. If you get a guy like Valdez had a 1.16 whip last year, his walk rate is just not very good. And as a sinker baller, his Babbitt will never be elite. Where McKenzie can have an elite Babbitt. And he's has a career 232 Babbitt. And then and- Cleveland, Cleveland shifted the second least amount of times last year. And the Astros shifted the second most times last year. 
So I just I think McKenzie's just prepared more for a better a better whip. And he only threw 10 less innings last 10 less innings compared to Valdez last year. Same strikeout rate. It, I would say Valdez will have a better ERA because McKenzie has a home run problem. But you can get ERA guys later. You can't get whip guys later. That's my number one factor in deciding between the two. And yeah. Cleveland's a good team. So it's not like he, McKenzie can't get 15 wins. It's Yeah, everyone loves the big stocky guy to be able to throw innings and not trust in the uh, maybe the lankier, more athletic player to be more hey, team, can can you just tell everybody real quick who your favorite team is? Oh, the Cleveland Guardians. Oh, okay. Just <laughs> no bias at all. Yeah. I just want to get that out there. Trust me, Keith, well, tell me how good the, the Guardians stats. are winning the World Series every year. And it hasn't happened for like 70 years that they've, you know, that's a different topic, but uh, you know, maybe I, I this is the year. I gave stats, though, Nikolai, to back up why he will have a good win. <laughs> and why Valdez, well, Valdez has such an right. extreme ground ball rate where it actually should suppress Babbitt. And he's a lefty, so it will, the shift rules won't hurt him as bad as if he was a righty sinker baller. It just, as a fly ball pitcher, you're just going to have a, a better Babbitt. But he won't have as good of an ERA, I would say. I would say Valdez has a better ERA. That's the one thing I would give Valdez. That's fair. I think that's a solid breakdown right there. Um, you mentioned Jeremy Pena. You guys mm. have conflicting thoughts about Jeremy Pena this year? Because I'm, I'm, he's a polarizing player for me as well. Um, I've, I've taken him a couple of times. I get one draft. Like I got him like at late one thirties. He's just slipped and needed a shortstop, and it was a, but kind of where he is right now. I kind of like Rosario a little better. I kind of even like Nico Horner to the same extent. Like, um, so I I can't I can never really go fully in, even though I want to because I watched him in the playoffs and he looked like a he looked like a grown man, you know, <laughs> with everybody else. So it's just um, what do you guys think about him? Yeah, I'll, I'll start this one, Nikolai, and then okay. you can you can counter me. Sure. Uh, this whole offseason, Nikolai's been saying Jeremy Payne will bat number two. And I said, no, the Astros will sign someone like Jose Abreu and another hitter, which they did. And, like, I don't care about his playoff. That's just one month. That doesn't matter to me. Like, you don't sign Jose Abreu and not bat him three, four, or five. You don't bat Jeremy Pena over Jose Abreu. And then, like, his stats, like, I expect him to be a 2010-type hitter. Like, it's not bad. I don't expect a great average. I don't expect a terrible average. But at that draft position, I don't want him to be my starting shortstop. And he's too early to be a middle infielder to me. I'd rather take some other guys later to be my middle infielder. And then I also th- like his ex like ex Woba is 300 and his Woba last year was 309. So like what you got last year might be about what you get. There could be some upside, but I also think he's a little bit an injury concern. I had him on every single team last year, and it was kind of frustrating when you'd have a hamstring or a knee injury and he was day-to-day, and you never knew if he was going to play. And in 2021, he only played 37 games. I don't I don't remember if it was a wrist injury or what, but I wouldn't be comfortable saying he's going to play 150 games next year. So, like, the counting stats are going to be lower than you think. Yeah, so my pain, you think, is this. And keep – before they had signings, I said, I think he's hitting two. Um, my biggest thing with that before the signings even was 
I know people go, oh, don't get too caught up in, you know, a playoff run. Uh, for me, it's, you know, you, the manager's Dusty Baker. He doesn't always do things that we think he should do. I think that's pretty apparent. And I think the fact that he trusted the kid in the playoffs, and he, if you don't want to read into it, that's fine, but the kid killed it and he's 25. He potentially could be part of their team for a long time. Um, I think they like him a lot. I just don't think you can rule out that he could even still bat too. Now I do recognize it's a harder path right now. Um, but my counter to that would be to be careful with thinking his counting stats are going to be low. And especially the injury stuff. Again, I, I don't try to pretend to be a doctor. He's got less than a full year under his belt. I don't know if I can go injury prone yet. And I also don't think I can rule out that the kid can't progress. He's got, like I said, less than a year under his belt. I don't know why we should just assume. I'm not assuming he's going to be a star. I just think it's a possibility based on um, some of his skill set that he you know, possesses. I understand there's holes in his uh, swing, no doubt about it. I think a good comparison is you look at Dansby Swanson last year going into drafts. He's a guy that was on a good team that projected a bat lower in the lineup, strikes out a lot maybe, um, but had that, you know, a little bit of a power speed combo that we like. And I said this to Keaton. I was like, hey, I think Dansby, again, there's a path he could get up. He bats second in that lineup. Good things are going to come because that's such a great spot when you're in an awesome lineup. And while I'm not guaranteeing you, Pena gets there. You can't rule out injuries. You just mentioned Abreu. He's older. Michael Brantley, really, are we trusting him? Nobody is. If Payne gets into that second hole a decent amount, you're talking now a guy that maybe goes 20, you know, low 20s homer, 10, 15 steals with 100 runs. Like, you can't rule that out if he's in that spot. And all of a sudden, you go from 78, 80 runs to 100. And uh, that's how Dancy Swanson becomes a top 10, 15 player last year. You know what I mean? That totally makes sense. And I I mean, I know he obviously didn't hit second when Brantley was healthy, you know, to start the season, Brantley was batting second. Um, but when he had the opportunity to, when Brantley wasn't in the lineup, he was subbing in batting second. Um, and then I know Brantley's like, it is a perfect number two type hitter, but there's also no guarantee like you mentioned on his health. So um I don't know. But and then I don't think it's also bad if kind of everyone slides up and he doesn't even bat second, but he bats sixth, let's just say. And yeah. Brantley's batting behind him. Um almost like that secondary leadoff guy. Like Jeff Zimmerman did some research on, on fan graphs. It was a fascinating article about when you move places in the lineup, like how much stone base attempt goes up, um, attempt rate, just success rate and everything. And the six spot had this odd like boost when you got moved to it, your stone base attempts went up. Um, so if he does land, I guess that's why Tucker does so well in that spot too, that fifth, sixth spot. Um, but if Pena even lands in there and he's driving guys in and also stealing, um, it's not as bad from there either. I just think that it's um it's hard to assume that just because he won't bat second, he won't just stop being like good overall because of the counting stats. He could drive in 80 runs, you know? Yeah, for sure. That lineup's a, a good lineup to have a piece of. 
in my opinion. Again, he's definitely got things he needs to improve on. But I, again, I'm saying this as somebody who hasn't even drafted him yet, but I do think there's a path to him being potentially a really good pick, but he could also definitely underperform. So I, I do get both sides with him a little bit. Yeah. Keaton, you got time for one more or you got to run? Yeah, one more. And I suggest we go from one terrible on base percentage shortstop to another terrible on base percentage shortstop <laughs> in CJ Abrams versus Ezekiel Tovar. This was another one that we've been fighting over all offseason. And what's the conclusion? Well, what do you guys yeah, got? We'll, we'll let Nikolai go first. He's team CJ Abrams. Okay, so here's my thing with Keaton. And you saw with Pena there. He's like, there's no room for progress or improvement apparently for the young guys. And I, it drives me insane. It's like um, Pena 25, a little bit older, but like Abrams, super young guy, right? Corbin Carroll, we fight about too. Same thing. It's like, we talk about, Oh, what he did last year. And it's like, okay, I'm not saying that doesn't matter. Abrams in this case, CJ Abrams, the bigger prospect, right? Like undoubtedly I'm pretty sure on any list, he was a bigger prospect than Tovar. And that's not a knock on Tovar. It just is what it is. Abrams, let's not forget, pretty quick minor league uh, ex- experience himself. He kind of rocketed through it, gets called up last year. Um, he's filling in, right, for injuries here and there. Not consistent playing time. Yeah, he didn't light the world on fire in San Diego. Uh, trade happens. Tells the Washington, not a very good team. But at least he gets some run there at the end of the season. And again, super easy to pick the kid apart and, and say, oh, he doesn't walk. I hate it. He's also, again, a great athlete, elite speed, who's going to have a high BABIP. And he doesn't, he actually doesn't strike out. So for me, it's, it's like we're going to overreact to the 40 games he had last year and just say that's who he is and forget that this kid had all this talent and there's no way he can make improvements to, you know, I don't trust the power necessarily this year, but. For me, it's more about I'm attacking him because of the steals. I think, you know, we all have to spec on steals at some point. I kind of like him as could he get 25 bases? And if things go right, I think he absolutely could. And I think if he was coming in this season as big of a prospect as he was, and he never played the 40 games, I kind of feel like his ADP would be higher than it is now. But because he had those 40 games, it didn't look great. We all want to instantly go, well, that's who he is, or at least Keaton. Keaton's hating on his, uh, you know, a 22-year-old can't improve. And I just, I can't sign up for it. I, I, I'm not saying he's going to be a can't-miss thing. Um, but I think recency bias can be a, a, a wild thing sometimes. And I, I just like the kid. I think he's going to get a run at least in, in Washington to probably hit one or two to start off. Tovar again, should get run too, but I think he's going to have to work his way up. Um, again, th- this is less about thinking Tolvar's a bad pick and more, I just like Abrams. I think he still has um, more upside long-term. Um, Tolvar in the better stadium, I get that, but both are on bad teams. So the counting stats probably aren't going to be great. So for me, it's more about, I think, Abrams solid average and, and good steals potentially, so. Tovar, you're up. Well, let me just start with uh, Abrams' walk percentage with the Nationals last year. 
I've never seen a number so low before. 0.6%. I think he had he had one walk in his 44 games with the Nationals. It's just really tough to steal bases when you don't get on base at all. Hey, hey, it's not. Can I cut him off here? It's actually not. Go, I said this to you. Go look at the steals leaders last year. Go look at their on-base percentage. There's a lot of guys in the top 20 with awful OBPs. That's a fact. Just go look at it. So before you can continue, but that's just, don't don't spit lies here. That's just that's not always true. <laughs> it's more difficult to expect 30 stolen bases from a guy with a he had a 280 on base percentage percentage last year, and he's projected for 285 to 300 this year. So like it's just not very good. And he only stole seven bases last year in 90 games. He, he didn't show the aggressiveness that you would want, especially when he had no – he showed zero power ability you, at all. Don't you think it's hard for a young guy, though, when they're getting kind of tossed around in a lineup spot when he's in San Diego, some of those games, for him to just be running constantly when he's not even getting a real great run of playing time? I think Corbin Carroll's another example of that where you can say we didn't run that much, but – it's like, dude, dude's like one of the fastest guys in baseball. Are we really thinking he isn't going to steal more than the projected 15 steals that a lot of the system, projection systems have? I mean, I'd smash that over all day. Like, so I just, I know his plate display is way better than Abrams, but anyways, keep going. I agree that Abrams could steal 20 or 30 bases. He could, but he also could be started at the number two hole to start the year and ends up batting ninth for most of the year, like a Victor Robles. And not oh, like Tovar is right now. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah. So I'll get to Tovar. So I always ask myself, how does this player help me? What is his upside? Tovar in Colorado has a good average upside, but projections are all 270 to 280 roughly. So like 30 point, 20, 30 points higher than Abrams. Tovar could hit 10 to 20 home runs, which is more than I would say the 10 that Abrams would max out at. And he's not a 30 stolen base guy, but he's more of like a 10, 15, maybe up to 20, which is still helpful. And just by being in Colorado, his counting stats potential just so much higher. It's very difficult to get RBIs when you have a below 0.1 ISO like Abrams has. You, you just can't drive in runs with such limited power. And then how like, many how many Rockies players were in the Top, I don't know, forty of RBIs last year outside of CJ Crone. I I don't have the list, but I bet you it's not as many as you would think. But and it's not like the Rockies lineup is the what the twenty eight Yankees or whatever that great Yankees team is that they always say. Tovar could like is Jonathan Daza really a threat to keep the leadoff spot all year? Why can't Tovar claim that spot for the second half of the year? Like, there is a path for Tovar to get in the prime lineup spot. Or even batting, like, like right now Blackman's projected about fifth. Why can't Tovar bat sixth and Brendan Rodgers move to fifth? Like, there, there's a path for him to get a better lineup spot. And his path, he could be a top ten shortstop because he's good at – he could be good at everything with average upside and more power. It just helps overall. Or Abrams – has to get 30 stolen bases to be useful to me. Like 
his average won't be good enough to actually help. It will be good enough to not kill you. He makes a lot of contact, though, and he's really fast. He, he, so he doesn't walk. I get it. But he, he doesn't strike out that much. So I, I know you hate the, the Tim Anderson profiles, guys like that. But uh, I, I, I don't think his average – I think he actually could have a pretty solid average. That's just my opinion. They're projected for, like, the same K percentage right now. So they're, like, your contact argument, they're basically equal. Just in Coors, they're going to have a better Babbitt. I, and just a higher potential for average with Tomar. Hey, this is also Keaton coming from the guy. Abrams is like going 250. He's all Jorge Mateo last year. Mr. OBP King. But hey, for it's, it's okay to take him in steals. But, you know, Abrams is that young That's, guy, man. Just he's, he's a finished product. I I kind of like both of them a decent amount. Um, I do think that for Tovar being younger and having – double the amount of plate appearances in the main in the minor leagues. Like like Nikolai mentioned, um, you know, Abram like broke his leg, came back, was in double A, was in triple A, missed that, didn't do much in that strike, you know, not strike the other COVID year when a lot of people got, you know, good progress by just working on backfield with major leaguers and the team, you know, the top team personnel. I do think that there is a difference in that and that we've kind of seen him a little more in the majors. I would push back a little bit on the we haven't seen anything from the power because 109.6 Max EV isn't nothing. Um, I just think that with his athleticism and his ability to, you know, get out in front of the ball a little more, he pulls pulls a couple more balls down the like right field line. There's not an easy path to like pull home runs for him, but I could see it because of how athletically like good he is. Um, and like he, he got a little bit, he got better at, everything as the year went over like zone contact went up um started swinging a little more too much out of the zone but the hard hit percentage went up the swing and strike rank went down so maybe like and again he's he's 22 years and four months old right now i i i don't think that i think his projection is actually you know more than what they're showing right here because I just think that that his body and his just his playing time like he's just gonna get more looks at balls and saw a lot of fastballs last year. So I'm guessing that's how he was swinging more outside the zone, but he just seems like it's so hard to say, no, he can't learn from that and be better. But I do like him a lot too. I like that. He struggled a little bit, honestly, like we can't expect these guys to come up and crush it. I mean, I like that. He got a little taste of it, a little run and yeah, he didn't do that great, but guess what? That's what the off season's for, right? Make adjustments. Again, no guarantee, but you can't tell me that him having at least some experience is necessarily a bad thing at this age when Tovar, again, young, doesn't have any experience. And it, to think that he's also just going to come up and not have any struggles, I think, is a little optic. But that's just me. And and plus, Alan Trejo's sticking around. <laughs> yeah. I, I will concede that in a 12 team, I would still be willing to take Abrams, but I do prefer – Tovar, because getting 600 plate appearances with 30 stolen base upside is still very valuable in the 12 team. I just think Tovar offers more. And maybe for a round cheaper, which is about the same. Yeah, and he he um Tovar is is definitely nothing nothing to pass over as well. I just think that the skill set definitely looked pretty loud and good last year. Um 
Oh, I Def- took him in my, my most recent OC just despite Keaton. I usually just auto-pick in Abrams, like if I needed a middle infielder. And just to – basically more than anything, just to give Keaton shit, I just was like, hey, got a tow bar share. Just to kind of push his <laughs> buttons a little bit because, you know, I couldn't help myself. But Well, you're welcome when you win the overall with him. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you guys want to hit on utility players real quick? Util only players? You got time for that? I know you guys put that in the show notes. That's a little topic of debate. If not, it's cool. We could uh we could always try to get another time. I, I need to check the baby camera. That's okay. You can do that. I, I, Nicola, let's talk about the draft that we just finished up. Um, yeah, man, let's do it. You drafted from the uh ten spot. We're in a um a draft champions. Um, a lot of uh, Bobby Big Bucks, the main overall winner from last year, was in the draft, and uh, good old Maddie Modica and Carter Gill, pretty pretty sharp draft. So Whiskey Man is uh, just intimidating by the name alone. Um, so you're out of the <laughs> out of the ten spot, and uh, so so tell me your attack here because I really I really like your build here. You're kind of guy. You're the kind of guy when I'm in the draft, and and you pick the guys that like. That that born vet I like, and you're also on the um that you know that more athletic toolsy tooled up guy where I'm maybe a little reluctant to be as aggressive as you are on it, but just a combination of those guys that I really love. So, tell me about your idea in this draft. Yeah, so um, I know we did two recently together. This one I, I think I started off bets Degrom. Yep. Um, bets Degrom Jazz. So Really yeah, so Degrom. Uh, by the way, this is going to backfire me. I'm, I'm my most owned player. I'm, I'm just taking him in the second round, just instantly, and I'm probably going to take him in the first round, and it'll kill me. But I just, I don't care. I'm just going to avoid the injury, and I'm going to look either really smart or really dumb at the end of the season. But <laughs> um, I love the idea of getting a guy that can be not only the best pitcher but the best player. You know, it's um, his arm could fall off tomorrow, but he could be 1.1 overall player and. Um, no I like that. But anyways, uh, yeah. So with this one, I was kind of going to try more. Um, I've done some heavier pitcher builds early on. And and this one was just, I had a plan in place. I kind of wanted to make sure I got to close early. Um, kind of wanted to make sure I've mentioned that I'm, I'm not great at steals. So Jazz was definitely a target there in round three. Um, another fun player to own, right? I mean, he's maybe a 25, 25 guy and, uh, just hope the guy stays healthy. But yeah, I think I went bets to ground jazz and uh, Iglesias to, to start off. Um, yeah. For the most part, kind of what I was looking at. I mean, obviously certain guys might get sniped for me as uh, the draft progresses, but um, with this one, it was more about, um, I, I hate, I know I'll feel that they're, you know, is, is it's kind of gross and a big topic in some of these pods that I've been listening to. Um, I waited maybe a little bit longer on my third one than I'd like in this draft. Um, and I, I've actually, in some of the DCs, been waiting on third base, which also could backfire. But I took Bregman here, I think, in round five. Yeah, you took um, Bregman in round five, yeah, after Iglesias in round four. Yeah, I told, told myself I should maybe just see how it pans out by getting maybe that last third baseman that I think most people feel kind of comfortable with, uh, mm-hmm. at least in some of the higher tiers, right? Um and I mean, I like for the most part how it turned out in, in most of the earlier rounds. Um, 
but yeah, you were, where were you at? You were with on team four, right? Yeah. Yep. So you guys went a little pitcher heavier, right? To, to start off. Yeah. Yeah, it did. Um, I've, I've been having different approaches with closers. You know, I'm, I'm getting one early if on some draft, I think the majority of them, I'm not going with, you know, the class a hater Diaz Goop. but this one I did class a in the second round, the judge at pick four, um, didn't have a so judge are yet. you are you I was gonna say is that a you wanted a judge share or are you yeah wanted the judge I mean but 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 that not in the way of I want a judge and he's not good enough that he doesn't make you know that I wouldn't pick him there you know like I would pick him here I I, I think he's a a threat that baseball doesn't have and, and if you get the skill set I I get the, that he may have ran a whole bunch more and he will regress right but like if he goes down to 38 and 10 or 40 and 8 he still belongs still in this monster. area oh, yeah yeah. yeah so that's that's the thing um and yeah so switched it up with a little judge and uh got the early closer and i really love uh, i love the front of the draft for what can happen and starting pitching at the end of four and the beginning around five because there's some spots of the draft where it's like oh like you kind of have to reach maybe on a Framber or you Darvish where you kind of don't want to um, this one. Or you got Javier here, which is, yeah, I got you know, I like one of those polarizing guys, yeah. right? Or yep. you kind of yep. got to take them. If, if if you don't take him there, he's probably not coming back to you at this point. No. Yeah. He's definitely not. He's definitely not. That was like, definitely not coming back to high seventies. He's firmly, I think his ADP in the last 10 drafts is actually 52 overall yeah, man. um so he he's or 57 uh he's climbing up so i actually took wheeler first yeah and then took javier so i kind of like that duo um and then uh what happened in the seventh round is i was at uh what is that i think it was like pick 104 yep. um it was kenley jantin was still there and again I, I i'm not doing two um closers really early i'm not opposed to it i think if i did 30 teams i would probably take one team that had like a hater class a or d you know diaz uh hater or something like that um not opposed to it but just not the route i'm taking and jantin was sitting there and i was like ah so been so if i get one early i'm trying to just wait you know maybe take take a, a shot at Daniel Hudson or someone to give you maybe 10 or 12 and then speculate late on in, in DC, you just take a whole bunch of late guys. But I'm like, man, if I just take Jansen here, then I guess, you know, I don't have to do spend uh, my last five picks uh, of the draft, you know, on the Dylan Tates of the world. And I can maybe just take some upside like minor league players. So it was just a different approach to building a team and saying, all right, you know, in this team, I don't mind locking this up. I think with Class A and Jansen, you know, I, I didn't, you know, have to pick another closer or spec closer for a while. And I did it until like round 41, you know, in round 42, taking Melanton and just like, uh, I shouldn't need too many other saves. So I don't want to waste assets on um, thinking like, oh, what if Jansen's not good or Class A is, gets hurt? Because that's why you draft these guys here. You're not thinking about those things. So, um, for sure, I know. I'm glad you brought him up because I wanted to ask you since we were talking about this draft. Like, Kenley's been somebody I feel like that, you know, more often than not gets shit on in, in a lot of these, uh, when the rule changes are discussed, right? Like, because of his uh, slow approach. So, I was just curious, like, I think where you got him, I mean, again, especially in this format where you, just get so gross and you're spec specking on guys and reaching for them because you just want this early in the season too. We have no idea how some of these bullpens are going to shake out. 
So you're right. forced to grab guys like you said, Hudson, which could could be him, could be Phillips. You, you know, we just don't know. And I think you got Jansen at a great spot. But just to touch on him a little bit, do you believe in the like he's going to struggle because of the pitch clock, or do you think it's like, hey, he's a he's a pro, he's going to figure it out, he's working on it in the offseason. It, it might not actually hurt him as much as you think. Yeah, I think he's a pro for a long time. He's his skills have actually not fallen off that much, and we're talking about like Kyle Bloom, you know, Boston Red Sox. I think they're, I think they're analytic and analysis. The the whole department there is not gonna f- fall and say this guy is gonna, you know, just. I think there was an article saying, um, maybe with you know Saris was was just showing like how many violations there were in the minor leagues in the first six weeks and how much it dropped off, you know, after that, because guys got used to it, you know? So even if he struggles with it, April, May, right? It's like, oh no, he's not going to be terrible. Like, yeah, he's a professional. Like, what do you do at your job? Like, if you fail so bad at like other things, like, you know, you're just going to get better after you keep doing it. You know, it's just, I don't think it's going to be, I think it's an adjustment they'll have to make, but I trust that these, you know, Fifteen million dollar per year player can fucking make the adjustment to not be a total dud, you know. Right, and I and, and he's going to get a leash. To yeah. your point, he's getting paid a huge amount. He's one of the highest paid RPs in baseball. There, I mean, it could sure any closer could lose his job, I guess, but um, he's going to have a decent leash. So in this format, I think, like you said, pick hundred, it makes yeah, a pick, lot of sense. Yeah, right. I think his ADP is like right now in the last ten drafts is about seventy ish, mid seventies, and. I was checking the news constantly, you know, like, oh, like, well, you know, <laughs> am I missing something? What's happening? <laughs> right. You know, and 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 actually, I wanted to take who you took in round seven. I wanted to take MJ Melendez and have I, I took Varsho in round three, and I really like getting mm. sometimes just like two premium catches. So um, I saw the opportunity there, but Jansen I thought was good, and like I said, you know, you, you just you just know that. Now you don't have to take a whole bunch of shots later on, spend less assets. So I took some more minor league players, some more, you know, like better backups at other spots. Cause this is, this is the draft I waited for third base and got Josh, Josh Young in the 16th. And I took Justin Turner in the next round too, in the 17th, cause he's, he was still around. Um, so, you know, every draft, which I think is the way to play third if you wait. I think if I you like wait, you right? There. Yeah. I like that. It's I like, like both of them. Yeah, and I was going to take only one or the other, but then I was like, you know what? I didn't, it was kind of a dead spot for pitchers. Um, I think I I felt good in the five I had already too. I've been trying to get five by pick one seventy five. You know, because there yep. is a pit. There is a bad pit between one seventy five and two fifty. I like actually like the pitchers going after that more. So there's just a spot for. I just went on a. A bat run. I wanted to ask you. Um, you pick you picked Hunter Green in the eighth round. I I love Hunter Green. I think a lot of people do now. He's starting to get that Christian Javier helium, but yep. um, I've like been more comfortable with him as my SP three, as an SP two behind the Grom. You know, I think even you know that might be a little risky. But tell me, like, you know, is that just say okay? I'll just come back and like you did. You took Montgomery and Drew Rasmussen, two like solid guys you could probably expect to bank on 150 innings apiece, and so more like backing him up with other guys and taking that high upside arm as your SP two. Yeah, no, you're spot on. If I had to redo it, and I love Green, just um, I I always love you know trying to you know, that holy shit arm that you just, you know, watch the guy and it's like, wow, like just, it's different. And the way he ended last year, it's like, you don't know if he can 
keep that up, obviously. But man, the, 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 the talent is just off the charts. The ballpark doesn't help. That's obviously a little risky. You wish he pitched somewhere else. But um, yeah, obviously, you know, pairing him with DeGrom, yeah, it's, it's fun, but maybe not the most ideal start. Um, but I just couldn't pass taking a little, you know, hey, maybe I got a 500 strikeouts here in my first two, you know, starters. And obviously you need a lot of things to uh, work out for you. So I definitely was conscious then the rest of the way going Monty, Rasmussen, even Barrios, who I'm not even strong on, but more about banking some innings, hopefully more than anything. I don't know if he'll bounce back. And then Savali too, just kind of four guys, solid pros. Like I'd lump Bradish in there too, man. He's solid too. Bradish, yeah, Bradish, I, 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 yeah, I added him a little bit later. I think he mm-hmm. could be a little bit of a breakout uh, candidate. So, um, yeah, I typically wouldn't probably do that start again, but uh, I said, why not? Again, that's why I love these drafts. It's fun to kind of okay, let's let's take these two guys and let's just fill in the rest of um, with some more of your. Uh, lower strikeout guys, but maybe, you know, more trustworthy ratios and stuff like that. So. Yep. Yep. And, um, I, I totally love that just about the DCs It's none of the teams should look exactly the same. You know, it's, I mean, if you're playing to have the same looking teams all the way around, then that's just not a level of fun in that either. <laughs> you know, By the way, um, in this one, I am mad at myself. I took Mondesi when the news broke in this draft, like when he signed with Boston. Yeah, I, you did. That I, that I was that guy yeah, that I happened did. to be like on the clock and I was like looking around the news breaks. I was like, you know what? In a DC again, and we talk about overall, like I'm not a modesty guy. Like it'll probably be the only share I have all year. But I was like, what the hell? Why not? Like maybe the guy actually plays a hundred games and you know gets the 40, 50 steals that everybody thinks he's gonna give us. But I have zero faith that he will actually contribute at all, but I was definitely that guy on the clock that took him probably way too early. And, uh, he, what the hell? no, yeah, you definitely took him a little too early, but I think he, he definitely, you were lacking some speed. You took jazz and it was probably a little bit of a glut after that. Bader, I think is, you know, I don't know what we're going to get out of Bader, honestly, but Mondesi is the type of guy that just blends with your team. If, you know, needing that speed, it might've been probably was a little too early, but what about, no, Andrew it was Peraza? definitely too early. That one was more took me more by surprise. Oswald Peraza in round sixteen. You you thinking good big things from him this year? And you yeah, took him was, ahead of AJ um, of CJ so, Abrams too. So it's funny you bring that up. I'm glad you did, man, because it's funny because when Keaton and I, you know, just yapping at each other about freaking Abrams and Tovar to till we're blue in the face, Peraza, I started looking at him more, and I was like, wait a second, I think the guy that uh, I should be focusing on more if I'm you know, just projecting a youngster here with some power speed, I think Peraza might be the better play because uh, he's going later. And obviously I, t- I took him purposely earlier here, but um, man, I think, I think in Yankee stadium, you know, just we're comparing Tobar and Abrams, like better, better lineup around them. I have no idea on his playing time, what it's going to be. But again, if we're speculating, I think what he could be, um, it could be better than both of those guys uh, in that team context. So, yeah, it was, again, a little early, but I, I've noticed that his ADP, I think, has been scooting up a, a little bit over the last few weeks. Uh, maybe not – I don't know if it's different in DCs and OCs, but. Yeah, I think Peraza's skill set has been slept on a little bit as a community. Um, 
you know, like uh, he he's he's a really good talent, you know. Got the pop, got got speed. Um, there's some there's some minor league metrics available. Statcast that will show you that he's really not. Him and Tovar are very similar players. A very similar similar skill set. Um, so I like you know I like your thoughts here on just because I think we assume I think we just assume that they just want to go to Volpe, right? But what if this mm-hmm. guy starts off and he's like, oh wow we can't not play this guy, you know, he's a legit fan, you know, uh, real life shortstop and we need to play him. So I, I, I think as a community, we're kind of, you know, projecting Volpe already when there's this talented player who has a very good shot at being the guy as well. Yeah. And I kind of, I, knew, I might be screwed in this league. I'm a shortstop that, you know, I was trying to add in just some trash here guys later to, to make sure you get at bats at that spot. I think in an OC, I like Peraza a little bit more because, you know, back to our discussion with Keaton too, you got to be okay cutting guys sometimes. And, you know, with his ADP being towards the back end of the draft, Peraza, if you took him in an OC, if his playing time doesn't, you know, turn out to be what you wanted and stuff, it's not that hard of a drop. Um, you know, you hope you can move on and, and find something to fill in for the rest of the year. But I like the the potential he could definitely bring there. And um, I feel like I'm going to pick the wrong Yankee prospect, whether it's him, Cabrera, some people like, I feel like I'm in the, you know, it's just like, I'm definitely going to go in on the wrong one. And then the other guys are going to be awesome. But I, um, tell me, you got two other picks here that I really want to talk about. Not too sure. much in depth, but uh, pick 33, David VR and pick 35, Ricky Tiedemann. Um, what yep. are your, what are your expectations for both of the guys? You are obviously third baseman on the Giants, just being in the infield on the Giants is, you know, you got to go to work sweating every day and looking over your shoulder. Um, and and yep. Tiedemann, obviously, really huge skill set, young, but we saw them push Alec Manoa previously, too. So um, hit on those two players, if you don't mind. Yeah, so I got to be honest, with uh, with VR, I give all the credit. Uh, I mentioned him earlier, Preface. Uh, i gotten to know him uh, in the main event. We sat next to each other. We talked a little bit online. And uh, we were talking about some DCs earlier in the year and he's just, he's all in on them. And honestly, I was just like picking his brain on it. And like I said, I love picking, you know, good players brains on, on just guys that maybe I, I'm not considering. And he's just, he thinks he's going to be the guy like out of the gate, not to speak for him, but in his, you know, playing time is going to have a good shot at uh, being pretty regular to start off. And I just thought this late, you know, usually try to like the get, or at least I do at least three guys at, you know, those infield positions just to have some security throughout, you know, injuries or whatever might occur. So, yeah, I got to be honest. I'm not even a huge guy. He kind of talked me into him. And, again, sometimes I just like trusting smart players on their evals on something I might have missed. So, especially in a D.C. like this where, again, you're trying to spec on who could get some regular A.B.s, right? Absolutely. And if you if you, if you you took uh, his name, right, honestly, if you – Pulled up him and Ahuenio Suarez, right? Yeah, We're talking and 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 look at the amount of playing time Suarez has been given. You know, he he plays all the time, regular forever. Him. Yep, yeah, home runs per plate appearance, same thing, twenty. Um, home run to fly ball rate, twenty percent range, battle percent. You can give a little bit more to Suarez, fourteen and a half, a nine. But so many of the so many of the metrics, WRC plus, ISO. OPS, they're like the same player. 
crazy. Even their um, K percentage, their swing and strike percentage, they're almost like a mirrored. Even even Z minus O, like 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 you talked about, don't swing, minus O swing. They're both in the same range too, and they're aggressive in the zone, and both don't chase, and they do damage. So I I I like it. I like I like PR this year, and I think he's probably too one of those guys that might be frustrating to own, but I think he's gonna get the the run from the start. I think he's gonna get a shot to be the guy, and I think Davis backs up first base more and Flores kind of hops around more. Um, and I think they tried to let him establish himself. Um, I, I like the hit tool. It's just loud. Yeah. I like everything you just said there with him. And then Tiedemann kind of is one of those things where maybe I took him a little too earlier. Um, I think, you know, we all have maybe favorite rookie pitchers, right. That we're, we're big on or not big on this year. This isn't breaking news. I don't think Kikuchi's long for that starting <laughs> rotation if he even starts off, right? Like, um, what else more did, does Toronto need to see? I think some of the Toronto fans I see on Twitter would agree. So, um, does he break camp? I mean, probably not. But, I mean, the dude is just a stud last year and totally caught my eye. And so, with him, it's definitely more about – I think Kikuchi is pretty trash and is more for the bullpen for them and – I don't know who their fifth starter would be. Um, and I'm not saying he's again, starting the season uh, in the rotation, but I do think um, there's maybe a good shot. You see him collect some decent amount of starts in the second half. So at that point in the draft, I, I just like that uh, possible play um, to be a, a strong, maybe guy you can rotate in and out. Right. Hopefully in that, the last 10, 12 starts of the year type of thing. Right, and I could totally see them piecing it together until until he's he's ready. You know, um, whether you know they mentioned Nate Pearson getting a hundred innings and some some kind of bulk type of role, swing type of role. So maybe they piece a game like that where Kikuchi starts the three or Pearson starts a three, and, and you know they and you also have Trevor Richards, who's that similar kind of pitcher. You know, Mitch White is. I think he's. He's probably better in the bed than he is in, at baseball because he's he, <laughs> he's with some hot chicks. But um, <laughs> he, you know, yeah. But um, I just feel like they're going to make it work until he's ready. Um, and then you got Ryu, who's kind of like a wild card. And but I think if you're yeah, worried, when does he come back? You know, yeah, right. But but I think if you're worried about bringing them bringing up a guy because of Ryu coming back, I just um, I think. Maybe the past couple of years, that kind of player in me would lean more toward veteran. But just seeing the youth movement in the league and what like really can impact you in fantasy, like a strider who comes up and can give you yep. massive, massive lift. I'm more inclined to not worry about that, you know, veteran that's coming back possibly, you know. So I like that pick right there. Sure. Yeah. And again, I, th I think I took him well above maybe where he's going at the time. But um, I don't know. I heard and I think Nick Pollock, I was he broke it down way better than I just did. He mentioned something about it on either a podcast or an article about just his path that he thought he could see Tiedemann up sooner rather than later. And it just really kind of caught my eye too. Yep. Especially cause he, he admits to not being a prospect guy. So if that caught his eye, you know, he's on, you know, he's, he's looking at something that he likes. Um, yep. Yeah. So that was a cool little breakdown. I, you know, I enjoyed being in that draft with you. Like I said, there were some guys where, 
you know, you're taking like a little more aggressive than I would be on. And and again, I, I try to evaluate myself off of what other people are doing, like you said earlier in the podcast. So I was like, ah, man, I think I got to be a little more aggressive on some of these guys because it seems like as the draft season is coming along too, there's, there's, there's a certain type that's, that's rising in the drafts. And I, you know, again, talking about something I was saying earlier, I, I really have to be more aggressive when I really was on a guy for the, you know, the whole drafting season. And when it changes, I'm like, eh, you know, um, I have to absolutely. And I, I try to get a little better in these DCs. I remember my first one I did was just a terrible team because I took way too many of the Ricky Tiedemans. And then at the end, you know, injuries are bound to happen. And then you're just, you got nobody to start. Right. And you're just like, Oh, and then your team just tanks because you're falling behind and everything. So I've tried to balance it out a little bit better, but man, taking the, the Kyle Hendricks as I, I think I took him in this draft or Strasburg specking on, you know, any little news. It's like, Oh, he's throwing. You try to get excited about it, but uh, yeah, I still want to sprinkle in some of these, these, these young rooks that might give yeah. you a good boost in the second half. Absolutely. And in DC too, like that's what you'll see. Like um, you, you you'll learn as you play and you'll learn where you need to get better, you know? And I think like dy playing dynasty league helped me see the back half of the player pool a lot better in the last two years. Cause I understand what like maybe more of expectation of what a major league team wants to bring up in a player, you know, and what they, what the trends are for, for the major sure. league, you know? So, um, and, and just to, everyone's got a different path and, and, and it depends what kind of league that you're playing in too. If it's a 400 DC, someone might play more for the league in, in general as compared to the 150s, you know, and it's just a different group in there. The, the ADP is more like main event, you know, and, and you'll see wacky builds. Like um, the guy right now, he just took his first seven picks were batters, you know, and then his his first two pitches were Bednar and Alex, Alexis Diaz. Obviously very, very risky, but also, I don't know, it's cool to see it happening in your draft. You're like, oh, this, this, when the hell that's gonna work, you know? It's three of his first. Yeah, four, man, I was. Three of his I was first in four a four hundred with yeah. uh, a bunch of guys last year, and Del 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 Down is one of them. And that obviously you've seen some of his boards probably, but I was just fascinated by the, you know, the the, the pitcher heavy builds to start off with, right? Just crushing like seven eight pitchers to start off the draft, and I'm like, and he knows how to build it the rest of the way. So kudos to him. But it's it's so fascinating, like you said, to see some of these guys just take a really extreme approach. Um, I mean, I like to go a little bit heavy on the, you know, whether it's hitters or pitchers, but I usually have a line that I won't cross, but maybe I need to, you know, be a little bit more open-minded on some of that stuff. Cause some of these guys get, get it to work too. So. Heaton's back. Well, he's been here. We've just been blabbering about it, about our drafts, but um, <laughs> you want to get any more, anything in before we wrap it up, Keaton? No, I think we covered most of it. Uh, unless Nikolai wants to do another battle or, or not, but I think we covered all the good stuff. Uh, one one more thing, and then we can wrap it up. It's cool with you, Rob, if you got time. Just uh, yeah. So I know you mentioned util only, and I think for like a little debate we get into is just more about not, not hamstringing yourself uh, in that util spot, you know, um, with, you know, too many of one position, or in this case, just a UT to uh, util only player, um, because it doesn't offer that flexibility. And that's something Keaton likes to give me a lot of shit on. There was a draft I did a couple of years ago where I took 
and you you can you know rip me here too rob but i was like hey i'm gonna do a quirky build i wanted a mon again a mondashi share which definitely backfired but i was like i'm gonna get one of him in the oc i took three short stops in my first four rounds which i know sounds lunatic like an absolute lunatic move and it was um and uh I knew what I was doing. I mean, not maybe I didn't know what I was doing, but I, I did it on purpose because I think I got Trey and then um, I can't even remember. Maybe Tim Anderson or something. Uh, and then I said, screw it. I want to take Modesty here in the fourth. But my bigger point is I'm not afraid, I guess, to kind of take guys that I think are really going to help my build or take the good player just because I don't have a third baseman. I'll maybe take two first basemen. You know, I know some people had a lot of success with that last year, taking, you know, two of the big boppers that obviously were, were great if you had, like, Goldie and Alonzo or something, right? I guess I kind of like that idea still. It's like, hey, if, these, if this guy's the best hitter, I'm not going to just reach for this third baseman or, or whoever. I, I kind of want to just take the best bat again. Um, the shortstop example is bad, but I'm not willing to, like, just ignore kind of a, a quirky build where, where Keaton's – you know, getting on me about how flexibility and stuff is something I shouldn't overlook. And, and I do get it. And I understand it can, you know, cause issues for you down the road. So we kind of like to go back and forth on that a little bit. But I can let him talk to on his feelings on. Yeah, I think flexibility is underrated. In your example, taking three shortstops, it takes up shortstop, middle, <laughs> and util. That was a one-off thing. I mean, I, I would never do it again. It was more uh, boredom. Like, let's just see. And by the way, I got second in that league, just in case anybody <laughs> wants to know. <laughs> but keep going. Yeah, with uh, the flexibility, it's not just – it's draft flexibility and it's fab flexibility, and it's how you get your stats flexibility. So if you draft – a util only player, for example, early, you kind of have to start him because he's one of your better hitters. But if your team, like my teams are always strong in runs, home runs, RBIs, and I probably usually use my util spot for speed guys in September and August to catch up and stolen bases. So I don't like to hamstring my flexibility with how I get my stats because I've filled my util spot or filled it with a third shortstop for example. Uh, and there's also draft flexibility. If you take, say in this year's draft, you, you really want C.J. Abrams, but you took two shortstops early, you almost can't take Abrams even at a discount because it just kind of hurts your build. So I like spreading it around a little bit because then you can, you, can, you can hit on the guys that you think are good values who drop maybe. You just get more options. I like to keep the options open on how you build your team how you get your stats. And then in fab, do you really need a stolen base guy? And, but you can only fill them in that outfield. Maybe the only stolen base guys are shortstops. You, you, if you have three elite shortstops, it kind of takes away that flexibility. Absolutely. It totally makes sense. You have, you definitely have to be conscious of what you're doing in the draft. I think at all points, just understand yeah. where you're going to want guys. And if, if you're plucking guys up ahead of the time and now, uh, but I really like this guy late. So, and and that comes with drafting too. That helps just keep trying to do as many drafts as you can to just get that rhythm. So when you those because come fast draft time, you gotta you're gonna be making these decisions so much faster. And uh, 
least you have like a little Rolodex of decision points that you want to make. Yeah, for sure. And, and I agree. I do agree. Flexibility does matter. It's something I've been more conscious of for sure. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, Stan was somebody that I was big on and, and, you know, I debated with buddies about it, but for me, it was just like, I get the util only thing, but at the same time, like we all know the dude can hit 50 homers and I'm not going to get too bent out of shape that I can only start him in the one spot when he has that kind of upside. Now, granted he's in, he's got injury risk and all that stuff. Right. But I just, if a guy has that sort of uh, elite ability in a category, like a couple of years ago, and I think he was going in the, I don't know, eight to 10 range round. We still like, you know, you're still standing and coming off a couple of big seasons. Um, I was willing to take the shot. It, it didn't work out, but I think if I see a guy, I guess, um, that I think can make a huge difference somewhere, maybe I'm not going to care about the flexibility as much is all I'm saying. But again, I'm still uh, trying to learn plenty of stuff in this uh, crazy world, man. So I will say every team build can work just because I don't prefer util players or I do like my best team ever. I doubled up with Alonzo Matt Olson because Olson fell two rounds. So and like every, every strategy can work just because I prefer something doesn't mean it doesn't work for others. It's just my preference and how to build a team. Know, know how you want to build a team. Maybe that's the most important thing is know how you want to play the game. Absolutely. You have to know that. You, I think if you step into a draft and you're just willy nillying it, you just, there's there's better ways to profit and there's better way to success than than uh being on you know just don't be unprepared just if you're gonna put down the commitment for time and money you just go in and and do it you know just, you know I don't know I, I'm no super, doubt because in these rooms yeah so many good players it's gonna definitely show um if if you don't if you go in like you said just thinking you're gonna you know, kind of click on a guy that you feel sort of strongly about, but you don't even know why. Or like you said, if you don't know have any clue how you're going to build this team, uh, it's probably going to maybe not end the best for you, uh, you know, at the end of the season. So, Totally agree. All right. So how many, um, what are you guys doing fab wise? How many OCs total? Are you guys going to do main events? What's your plans this year? I usually do three OCs. I already spend hours every Sunday going over fab, deciding between two players, and I hate it. <laughs> fab, fab is just awful to me. So many little decisions. So many conditionals. Or Nikolai, I'm sure you love last year with all your OC teams. Yeah, I, uh, I think I did about 12 OCs last year. And I mean, I know there's people who do a lot more. I mean, Bobby Big Bucks is, I don't even know how the guy does it, but uh, I'm going to try to cut back a little bit. I mean, I love the OCs, but I'm with Keaton there to an extent on, man, it's just a grind. Like it's fun at the first, you know, couple weeks, couple months even, but that last month or two doing fab for 12, 13 teams. I mean, I just want to like, my eyes are bloodshot by the end of Sunday night. I'm pulling my hair out. You're just in your, your bids because news comes out, whatever it is. Right. We all do it. It's just, it's, it's not, it's, I mean, I love this game, but it's just not fun. And then you get pissed off because you go through and look at all your bids, but I, guys, you missed out on and then 
you know, again, I lose too much sleep over that stuff. I need, I'm going to try to cut it back a little bit, maybe do like five OCs. I tell myself this year and maybe a, a little bit more DC. So I'll probably still try to get like 20 teams, but maybe more DCs, um, five, six OCs. I did a few gladiators, which was fun to check out earlier. And then I'll probably just do the one main. So live. So last year I did live. I did. We were in Vegas, which was cool. I was in a, a league with Phil, Vlad, uh, Preppis. It was, it was just cool. Really, really strong uh, league with a lot of good players. Uh, like I said, it was kind of humbling. Finished kind of middle of the pack. Not exactly what I wanted, but man, it was a, it was a good time to just kind of see it in person. So I think this year I can't go to Vegas this year, but uh, I'll just do it online. But um, yeah, it was total. We got a peer pressure. Keaton didn't do in a main because – as much shit as I like to give him, I think he'd be strong in 15s actually. And uh, he's just uh, too afraid to jump into it. I think one year I'll do a main event. Just so it's a big commitment for something I don't feel very confident in. Yeah, definitely, definitely a big. Every every move is is magnetized more and more when you're in that, you know, not only the draft room, but in season fab. Everything's. You know, Are you going I to thought, Vegas, Rob? Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna do my first. Uh, you going to Vegas? First live experience, yeah, yeah, there. Um, oh, nice, man. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it should be fun. I wanna. I've been to New York and I met everyone. I'm going to New York too, to, you know, because it's close by for me. But I suppose you're close by. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going to get out to Vegas this year, and uh, I'm excited. You know, I'm super, super excited to to do that, man. It's just. Uh, it's going to be fun. I just want to meet everyone, everyone that I'm constantly talking to. And, you know, it's just, it'll be good to yeah. see him face to face. And, you know, cause um, I think more often than not, like including you guys, you know, you start talking to people and then you just find like really awesome people to talk to. Not only do you just have a, like a like mind, uh, you know, goal and playing fantasy, but we're just, just constantly meet people and you're like just all around great people everywhere so it's cool having that association yeah, no and doubt. then yeah getting to know people on top of that and it, uh, that's the best thing about this zoom you know just obviously you know we would love to hang out and just talk to baseball like live but you know this is this is cool i get to meet you guys get to see what you guys look like how you act and i think that's all part of you know getting to know people so i appreciate you guys doing this man um it was exciting and uh no, man, I wish, is, yeah i wish you guys been awesome man i really appreciate on. you letting us knuckleheads come on here and, uh, you know, talk some uh, past and upcoming fantasy with you. And, dude, I got to say congrats, too, on the the launch angle. Uh, that's super cool. Um, so I'm excited to see you jumping over there and doing your thing. So, Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm totally excited for that. Thank you so much. It's, gonna, it's just like an honor to work with those two, you know, titans of the industry and really good fantasy baseball players on top of analysts you know it's hard to get that combo you know of good player and analyst and they they do both of it really well so it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome you know um i'm, I'm looking forward to it first pod next week or when tomorrow oh tomorrow okay. tomorrow yes oh yeah yeah we should be recording like 2 p.m eastern time so uh, as soon as we're done and i fire that puppy into the editing chamber I don't edit. I'm saying just the actual process of doing that. Um, yeah. It's going to be good. 
gonna be good. It just makes yeah, me smarter sure. too. Like everyone I have on just always gives me something that I'm gonna take, you know, and and use in my analysis or my approach. Because uh, I think if you're shutting off your views on trying to learn from others, then you just uh, you're never gonna go forward, you know. A hundred percent. I gotta ask you one last question. I promise I'll shut up. Uh, you're you're with me, right? 2020, that year, that counted, right? 2020. Any they any count. leagues we were in that they count they, they count right they gotta count they count I mean oh yeah hundred percent they count yeah I'm, I just gotta make sure not that I'm pointing fingers at anybody else on this podcast or anything I wouldn't do that but uh, um, yeah 2020 just let the record show it counts <laughs> for the record I don't think 2020 counts <laughs> no what a bad I'm a, I'm a small sample size guy and that's just too much small sample size and variability. You sound like a sour grapes guy that it's just still, did bad it's, and is want to use it as an excuse. <laughs> they're still playing a game to beat everybody else, though, and I beat everybody else. So, and everybody had the same rules, right? It's not like there's any the same different rules. across the board. Some people didn't adjust yeah, well. There's some know. people. There's some people who are always good yeah. and still get good in the yeah. short season. So I think you take the right Rob, approach. You figure Rob out the right edge. Yeah. I, I got second in my league just because somebody got 13th. I just think it's unfair to say it didn't count. <laughs> it's still it's it's still a race to beat everyone else statistically. And if you finish the race at the end, uh, you won. Simple as that. That's what I'm saying. All right. I'm glad it's decided to count it. Yeah. I mean, some <laughs> I people some people have even made the argument that like the moves are were more impactful in those weeks in fab and, and drafting because there was less time. So the better decisions you made in that time could have counted doubly. That's not my words, but some people have said those words. I I think of myself more as a marathon runner than a sprinter in this. So that's, that's my point of view. You look like a marathon runner compared to me. So I get that. I get that. (laughs) I'm not going to make it that far, but I'll give, I'll give a good, I'll give a good, you know, birth, short birth as much as I can. <laughs> I'm a That's max awesome. effort guy in uh in 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 small and ah. small in small times for sure. Who's got who's got time to run for four hours straight to make my hero? I mean, yeah, I just like would want to do so much else with my life than running for that long. But God bless anyone who does, right. you know, because I'm sure. No, yeah, I'm not. Like... Everyone who runs and listens to this podcast is gonna get to the end of it and be like, oh yeah, they're just getting angry. Ah. <laughs> uh. Sweet, man. But I appreciate you guys hanging out and talking ball. It was a pleasure to get to know you guys and get to know into your little fantasy brains a little bit. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah, talk soon or something. Good luck, guys. Later. This is the Pole Hitter Podcast. This is Rob D., the dead Pole Hitter. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Pole Hitter Podcast. I hope you enjoyed hearing some fresh new voices and some recently successful players playing in the NFBC realm and just learn about everyone's different approaches. Once again, keep tuning in to the Pull Hitter Podcast. we got some big news coming up, big stuff that's going to be coming up for in-season play. We're going to be giving you all the right tools to succeed in not only your NFBC leagues, but any kind of style league you could think of. Um, we're just going to be really giving you as many tools and resources during the season for you to succeed and launch angle podcast is coming back as well tomorrow thursday february 9th should be everything should um be ready to relaunch 
and I'm excited to work with Jeff and Rob. So thank you for everyone for tuning in, and uh, don't be a bag of shit.